Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lemon square. Your lemon squares taste like ass. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking, how dare you wake me in the middle of the day when you know I have insomnia. We're talking, I never interfered in your dirty sex life. And we're talking, Paul Morrissey, and not just Andy Warhol. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and Joe, did you know that to no death, you have to fuck life in the gallbladder? Ah, uh, yes, yes, the mysterious <laughs> gallbladder of life that fuck. this movie seems to think is a thing. <laughs> Everyone, we are discussing Flesh for Frankenstein, or um, Andy Warhol's Frankenstein question mark. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and what a movie it is, Joe. Oh boy, oh boy. How funny that we ended up programming two films that come out in the exact same year back to back, but on different sides of the pond, and yet have a very similar kind of wackadoodle vibe to them, right? It's, yes, very, very strange. I mean, this movie is bananas. I don't even... <laughs> Mm -hmm. I don't. I, it's so funny because I read the plot for this movie before I watched it, so I, I wasn't like I was spoiled ahead of time. But nothing I read about what happens in this movie could have mm -hmm. really prepared me for anything that happens in this movie. No, like your your reptilian brain will just read things and say, "Oh, sure, I understand." We're talking about incest. We're talking about necrophilia. We're talking about homoerotic undertones. All of this good stuff. And yet when you see it played out in lurid Technicolor 3D with like Udo Kier fucking a corpse lady, you're just like, <laughs> what am I watching? What am I spending my time doing right now? It's lovely. I yeah, love this movie. I have no fucking clue. But yeah, I mean, you know, for, for continuing our camp month, everyone, because this film is pretty campy, but mm -hmm. there's a lot to discuss here. So why don't we bring in our guest who uh, I know really wants to discuss this film? Everyone, she is the co-host of Windsor Film Club, a cult film podcast that celebrates the underappreciated or just plain weird in the world of film. You may have also read her work at Fangoria, Bloody Disgusting, and The Academy. She was also our guest in our episode on The Silence of the Lambs from last year. Please welcome Rena Cervantes. Ooh. Hello, hello, hello. Sorry, I was looking for that meme. Oh my god, button. I was like... <laughs> She's gone. She's already disappeared. She was no. like, no, I'm out. Hello, Reyna. Welcome back. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for having me back for, uh, for a quote-unquote fun episode. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> but you know what, though? I would argue that deals with more upsetting, well, maybe not more upsetting, but equally upsetting subject matter. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, this movie has, like, troubling content. Let's bring Reyna on for it. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's okay. So it's so funny, Rana, because we actually didn't. We had this on our schedule when we first did it, but then we were like, "Oh fuck!" Like it's not streaming anywhere. It's only this goddamn fifty dollars vinegar syndrome four K set. But then Shutter added it, and so we were like, uh -huh. "Fuck yes, we can reprogram it." Rescued by Shutter again. Thank yeah. you, Shutter. <laughs> but but Rana, you talked to me about this like before we had even considered like programming it. Wh why? What? What is your relationship to this film? Because I, this is bizarre. <laughs> 
It's just a why and a what question, Reina. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, I have like a weird, like kind of a half-assed relationship with this movie mm-hmm. um, in a weird way. Um, so 2020 pandemic hit. We're all stuck at home. You know the story. I'm not going to recap it. But I kind of sat there and I told myself, I was like, well, growing up, I always hated vampire films. Like I just I, I couldn't watch them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I am going to get into vampire films if I'm going to force myself. So I was buying any and all vampire films. Trust me, I'm getting to how this relates. No, no, go, 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 go. <laughs> so uh, eventually I get to uh, Blood for Dracula, a.k.a. Uh, Andy Warhol's Dracula. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, cool. They did a Frankenstein movie as well with like the same like crew and whatnot. So I ended up buying bootlegs of those because they were notoriously out of print yep and i didn't want to pay for the criteria criterion dvds so i found some guy on etsy and i don't remember his name i think his shop got taken down but he was basically making copies of the criterion dvds and burning them onto blu-rays with like custom cover art oh wow (laughs) and uh i paid 40 dollars for both blood for dracula and flesh for frankenstein and watched them both back to back and kind of instantly fell in love with them even though like my copies were of like pretty piss poor quality Mm -hmm. i just love the high camp of it all like oh boy these two movies have like the energy of a ren and stimpy episode (laughs) (laughs) and yet you're not wrong not wrong at all and it's so funny because like you know we're in our month of camp we covered female trouble last week which is also uh an exercise in bad taste and also actually joe an x-rated or extra nc-17 rated film just like this one so Hmm. have we even covered one of those before we just happened to do two in a row Yeah, I mean, this was a weird programming thing. Originally, we were going to do next week's film in between. And then just by virtuous scheduling, we opted for this. I actually think that this is a really dynamic pair because it gives us a North American perspective and now a UK Italian perspective. French Italian. There we go. Mm. There we go. Um, yeah, I mean, I, Raina, this this movie's bananas. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's putting it lightly. Uh, okay. Well, why don't we jump into this? Because there is a lot of stuff about this film. But I wanted to really quickly, before we jump into the actual production of this film, talk about Andy Warhol. Because, I don't know, I mean, do y'all have a relationship with Andy Warhol? Because I definitely do not. Hmm. I think my closest relationship with Andy Warhol is uh, Bill Hader playing him in Men in Black 3. That's about it. (laughs) (laughs) Joe? Yeah, I mean, to say I have a relationship with him is taking it too far, but I worked at an art design institution for a number of years, and as a result, I saw the influence of him and his art and his crew. Yeah, like, it... It's longstanding, but also I think that he shifted from like an art figure into somebody that was casually associated with like Studio 54 and the drug scene. He popularized yeah. a lot of things like he he basically made independent art mainstream for celebrity figures. And I think that that's a really interesting piece. But also, you know, in a certain way, he commodified a lot of art. So he kind of ended up packaging and selling things so some people regard him as like the death of art or he's just the influencer before that was even a household term 
Right. Mm. Andy Warhol on social media would have been a fucking nightmare. Oh my god. god. Yeah. He had like the very first like hype house where it's <sighs> just like a house of influencers. <laughs> well, okay, so we'll get into this. But I, I will tell you, so I, I I really didn't know who Andy Warhol was. I mean I'd heard his name, whatever, but my freshman year of college, my boyfriend at the time was obsessed with the Sienna Miller story movie The Factory, in which she plays Edie Sedgwick. Right. Mm-hmm. Not a good movie. No, no. And he kept trying to get me to watch it, and I finally did, and I was bored to tears. <laughs> <laughs> I hated it. And, and I had no context. I didn't know what it I didn't know what the factory was, and honestly, right. I couldn't tell you what it is. But nevertheless, everyone, if you are like me and you don't know much about Andy Warhol, um, he was an American artist, film director, and producer who was a leading figure in the visual art movement known as pop art. And mm-hmm. his, his works explore the relationship between artistic expression advertising and celebrity culture um, that flourished by the 1960s and span a variety of media, including painting, silk screening, photography, film, and sculpture. Uh, he did live as an openly gay man before the gay liberation movement that began in the late 1960s uh, was even a thing. Sure, he was an artist. <laughs> yes, he was. So... After exhibiting his work in several galleries in the late 1950s, uh, he began to receive recognition as an influential and controversial artist, and his New York studio, uh, which Raina was talking about, the factory, became a well-known gathering place. It was, it became famed for its parties in the 1960s, and it was completely covered in silver, even the elevator. So, why silver, you ask? Well... Silver, fractured mirrors, and tinfoil were apparently the basic decorating materials loved by early amphetamine users of the 60s. Oh, my God. Oh. Wait, does that explain certain things about the decor in Female Trouble in retrospect, then? It might! <laughs> they fully redecked Dawn's apartment in, like, silvery and red. Anyway, mm-hmm. moving on, moving on. Yep, Keep going. No, go back and listen, everyone, because that was also a trip. <laughs> Um, so not super relevant, but there was a now iconic red sofa that became a favorite place for factory guests to crash on overnight, usually after coming down from said amphetamines. So if you ever see photographs of Warhol's factory, it's featured in many photographs and films from his era, including his silent 1963 documentary Blowjob and his 1964 pornographic film Couch, mm-hmm. which makes sense. <laughs> By the time Warhol had achieved a reputation, he was working day and night on his paintings. Uh, He used silk screens so that he could mass-produce images the way corporations mass-produce consumer goods. So, to increase production, he attracted a menage of adult film performers, drag queens, socialites, drug addicts, musicians, intellectuals, playwrights, bohemian street people, Hollywood celebrities, wealthy patrons, and free thinkers who became known as the Warhol superstars. And these superstars helped him create his paintings, starred in his films, and created the atmosphere for which the factory became legendary. Yeah, so basically a high-class John Waters and the Dreamers. Yes! I mean, yes! Well, hey, I don't even know if they were high-class, they just thought they were high class yeah it was a it was everybody rejected by basically normal society right. yeah it was very much a, oh it's popular oh, that's not cool that's the vibe i get but i'm not gonna say anymore because we might have a lot of warhol heads like listening i don't know sure mm-hmm. let us so, know this brings us to flesh for frankenstein so i'm gonna go all the way to the beginning of this y'all because who boy we've got a timeline on our hands we're going to start with producer Andrew Bronsberg, and in 1971, he was working with Roman Polanski on his film Macbeth. 
Macbeth used the Todd A.O. lens system and cameras. And so during filming, Todd A.O. sent their chief engineer to the set who introduced Bronsberg to a new system they had built for shooting in 3D. And this system required only a single camera and a standard projector in place of the two cameras and two projectors necessitated by the older 3D techniques that I think we were seeing in the 1950s a lot. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Bronzberg was absolutely hypnotized by it. So he told Polanski he wanted to make 3D parody versions of Frankenstein and Dracula, the latter of which would become 1974's Blood for Dracula, uh, which featured many of the same cast and crew as Flesh for Frankenstein. Polanski eventually lost interest, and while both he and Bronzberg went on to make another project, which would be 1972's What?, Bronzberg was still determined to make a 3D film. After doing some research, he was told he would need a director who does long takes. I guess working with this technology, like you just you couldn't have too many cuts because it was going to complicate mm -hmm. matters. I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This brought him to Paul Morrissey, who at the time was a member of Andy Warhol's factory and you know one of his superstars. Paul Morrissey, <laughs> this guy. Right. He had formerly served in the United States Army and is a staunch political conservative and self-described right-winger who has publicly protested against immorality and anti-Catholicism. And so this is interesting, right? Because we as queer people know that we are called immoral quite often. So why is he teaming up with Andy Warhol? <laughs> mm -hmm. I think he's a little confused. Well, so his long-term collaboration with Warhol was viewed by many as a successful mismatch, although both men did share some traits, like they were both practicing Catholics from ethnic backgrounds. But I do want to point out that while Morrissey was super right-wing, he was still among the first film directors to cast a transgender woman from Warhol's inner circle in his films Trash from 1970 and Women in Revolt from 1971. Mm -hmm. Actually, a little bit similar in the same way that uh, Dario Argento was like kind of comfortable in moving into queer spaces without imposing judgment or stigma onto his queer performers. Yeah, yeah. So Morrissey's early works with Warhol took advantage of 16mm news cameras such as the Oricon, which recorded sound directly on film. Now this would kind of become a problem later when we get to Flesh for Frankenstein, because as we all know, the Italians like to dub. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just a little. Uh, these cameras had the capacity to film takes up to 33 minutes in length. And so this permitted a portable small crew method of filming and was amenable to improvisation, which is how Morrissey preferred to do his films. And it was that experience with the improv and the 33-minute takes that put Morrissey on Bronzeberg's radar. At the time, Morrissey was a really hot commodity because of his association with Andy Warhol. And Joe, I don't know why this name keeps coming back up, but they were going to make a Sherlock Holmes movie that had been written by the horrible, atrocious film critic Rex Reed. Oh, Jesus, God. And it was going to star Rex Reed as no. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> I mean, I've seen Rex Reed act, and he's not terrible. He's maybe on par with some of the acting that we'll see in this film. But yeah, dude needs to fucking go away go away forever but nevertheless that movie did not happen uh, it would eventually morph into what uh, morrissey's 1977 film the hound of the baskervilles but it had dudley moore instead of rex reed so at least mm. we have that going for it much better choice well he was also joe uh, he was a top choice to direct the adaptation of cruising in the early 70s but huh. if you listen to our 100th episode on that film you know that that of course did not come to fruition right anyway Bronzberg called Morrissey and told him he wanted to make Frankenstein in 3D, and Morrissey said yes immediately, as long as he could both write and direct it. But the problem is, now we gotta get financing for this thing. 
Despite Andy Warhol's name over the film's title, no money actually came from Andy Warhol. He just slapped his name on the fucker for brand recognition and called it a day because he also didn't put any, uh, he had no say on the production of this film either. He was not involved. He came to set one day during filming and he visited the editing room once during the editing process. Mm, capitalism. Mm. Love it. It's just, I mean, I don't even think he's listed as a producer on this film, is he? No, I don't believe he is. Yeah, it it basically, it's exactly what you said. He got used for marketing to help sell the film, and I'm sure he made some kind of money off of that, or else he wouldn't have done it. But yeah, like, he has no signature or fingerprints on this film. Well, the chief person who got things moving was Italian producer Carlo Ponti, and he teamed up with a French producer named Jean-Pierre Rassam, making Flesh for Frankenstein a French-Italian co-production. So... Filming began on March 20th, 1973, and the story told is that Morrissey, because he wanted to do improvisation, he was writing the script in the car on his way to the studio every morning. Uh, and he had to do this because he didn't plan a script in advance, but he was told, hey, you can't do improv for this because some of your actors, namely Udo Kier, do not do improv. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> Morrissey was staying in Ponty's villa during filming because he had offered it up, and he stayed there with his assistant, Jed Johnson, who served as a co-editor on the film, and a woman named Pat Hackett. Now, Pat Hackett seems to be the Deborah Hill to Morrissey's John Carpenter, or more appropriately, the Daria Nicolodi to Morrissey's Dario Argento. There we go. Because she supposedly had more input in the script than is commonly said. You see, Hackett was Andy Warhol's best friend and confidant, so... She helped compile and was the sole editor of the Andy Warhol Diaries, a.k.a. Warhol's dictated memoirs from 1989 that were published as an 800-page book shortly after his death. But it was her work that primarily made up those diaries, because basically while they were friends, while he was alive, she would call him every morning and write down Andy Warhol's words, and she'd be the sole keeper of those tapes. And it is those tapes that became the Andy Warhol Diaries. Hmm. Oh, Okay. <laughs> I know. Somehow she's only credited on one on Warhol's final film, 1977's Bad, but it is often widely believed that she added many lines of dialogue to films like Flesh for Frankenstein. So she was the Andy Warhol touch and everything. Yeah, kind of? Like, by proxy, right? Like, he, like, let her take care of everything. <laughs> I guess. Like, in a weird way. I wonder, like, did he just not care about this movie, or was he, did he think it was beneath him, or was he just too busy, or was he just on too many drugs? He was just, he was, he was just vibing. They probably just asked him one night at a party, and he's like, oh yeah, sure, whatever, and then signed off on, on it. it. Yeah, yeah. slap my name on it. Other than that, though, shooting went faultlessly. It was on time, on budget, but Morrissey got super annoyed with the 3D, because <laughs> he went up to Bromsburg. And he was like, hey, full disclosure, I can't see very well about, uh, um, out of one of my eyes. So I'm having Ooh. a lot of trouble with the 3D. Can we please not make Blood for Dracula in 3D? And Bromsburg sadly obliged. Because this 3D gets the red and blue, whatever, mm -hmm. scream. If you only have one eye working, you will not be able to actually see the 3D process. Right? Well, yeah, because even like polarized 3D, it's just mm -hmm. two images overlapping. Yep. Um, we've also, weirdly enough, got a Toby Hooper, Steven Spielberg poltergeist situation here because some Italian prints credit the second unit director, Antonio Margariti, as the director of the film under his pseudonym, Anthony M. Dawson. And this was actually to ensure that the film would obtain Italian nationality for the producers due to Italian laws. Huh. But okay. because of that, though, there are rumors that's like, oh, yeah, this guy directed the film. Morrissey didn't do shit. 
Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, Margarita did shoot some of the special effects scenes, um, namely the one involving the breathing lungs. Oh, those are fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a word for it. Anyway, filming was completed by the summer of 73, and Morrissey spent the summer editing. But now we've got to distribute this fucker. So, Bronzeburg showed flesh for Frankenstein to distributors, and everybody turned it down. No one wanted to pay money to distribute this film. He eventually found Joseph E. Levine in the United States, who at the time was considered the king of exploitation, though he had already produced films like The Graduate and The Producers in the late 60s, so he wasn't just exploitation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They arranged a screening in New York, and after about five to ten minutes, Levine shouted from the back, switched off this crap, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's an appropriate response. <laughs> uh, this left Bronzeburg alone in the theater, scratching his head and wondering what to do next. So, he eventually crossed paths with a man named Herbert Nitke, uh, who had financed 1973's The Devil in Miss Jones. And what that movie is, is a pornographic film that got a wide release coming out after Deep Throat, which, as we all know, was the first porno movie that had a widespread distribution. Right. Mm-hmm. Bronsberg knew that Miss Jones was a huge success, so he trusted Nitke. With few options left, he sold Nitke the rights to the film. But... To avoid associations with his other company that produced the porno film, The Devil and Miss Jones, Nitke formed an entity called Lodi Distributing, specifically for Flesh or Frankenstein. Unfortunately, Nitke bowed out as the film's distributor, but chose to retain a 50% interest in all the proceeds, or the revenue, or the whatever the film. Mm-hmm. He tied that up with the new distributor he had secured, Bryanston Pictures. And here's where it gets, um, morally ambiguous, I guess? Hmm. Bryanston Pictures was owned and run by Joseph and Louis Pereno, and these were the sons of Anthony Pereno, a member of the Colombo crime family, a.k.a. the youngest of the five families that dominated organized crime activities in New York City within the criminal organization known as the American Mafia. Ooh, that's oh, a, that's <laughs> extremely chill. Ah, <laughs> uh, the 70s, what a wild time. I, I don't know how Nitke got involved with them, but they, they actually distributed Deep Throat. So that, that's how they had that connection. Right. So okay. I have to assume that when he was doing Devil and Miss Jones, he probably reached out to them to be like, hey, how did you make that a huge, how did you make Deep Throat a huge success? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Okay. So this was just like something that not even like the pornographers and the exploitation people wanted to touch like at the time. I well, so, so these, weird. these guys did. So... They created Bryanston Pictures for Deep Throat because they, that was the, that was the way that they could get the mafia involved in the filmmaking industry. Like that was why they did this. Yeah, but they did want to make regular movies, not just porno. So they bought the distribution rights to Flesh for Frankenstein for seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And I looked them up, y'all. They there's a whole slew of films in the 1970s that they produced, um, and that would include Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Hmm. Whoa. And John Carpenter's debut film, Dark Star. Whoa, wow. hold on. <laughs> so, yep. so like, they wanted to use Flesh for Frankenstein, if I'm understanding correctly, uh-huh. correctly as their platform for into, like, regular movies. Yeah. Like, right. yeah. not porno. <laughs> but it fucking worked. I'm, yeah, I guess that's putting it lightly that it worked. Well, Goddamn. It's just, I mean... Texas Chainsaw, I kind of get. Dark Star, I do get, because I mean, that just looks like a cheapy film. But yeah, this film is so much more graphic than any of those other films that we're talking. I mean, besides Deep Throat, obviously. Yeah. Like, still. 
Right, but let's not forget that this film comes out a year after Last Tango in Paris, which admittedly that movie doesn't have any kind of like innard fucking, but it does have that X rating and it has that kind of art house European vibe to it. So like the masses were more ready between Last Tango in Paris and Deep Throat to watch something like Flesh for Frankenstein. Apparently, too, um, I'm glad you brought that up, Joe, because that whole gallbladder line, um, that is meant to spoof a line in Last Tango in Paris because Morrissey hated that film. (laughs) Okay. 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 You know what? This is like turning even more into like one of my favorite movies ever now. Right? (laughs) It's like a big fuck you. (laughs) This is great. This is like, this is all so fascinating because like, yeah, you really think at the time that this movie came out, this really was the movie that like people would fear movies would become like yes, sexually absolutely. and sexually graphic, violently graphic, just like perverse. Yeah, this mm-hmm. was the perfect storm brewing right here. One hundred percent. So while Bronzeberg was lucky enough to get them on as a distributor, he wasn't crazy about their distribution model. And because what they did was they would rent the theater, screen the movie and take all of the box office. So like. Oops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the theater didn't make any theaters didn't make any money off of this. Everything went right to Brian's Pictures because they had mafia money, so they could afford to just buy out the theater. <laughs> oh, ah, got it. There was also, however, because this was in 3D, there was an added expense that required the cinemas to put in a silver screen because the amount of light necessary on the screen for a 3D film was not adequate with a normal screens that were in theaters at the time. This fell on the theaters that would have to spend anywhere from two to three thousand dollars per cinema to get a silver screen to show this movie. Oh my god! In nineteen seventies money, absolutely mm-hmm. not for like, for, for, this, for movie. this movie. Yes, like, yeah, like not even like a big like sci-fi movie or anything like for flesh for Frankenstein. Like, <laughs> well, okay. Do y'all think this movie was successful, but money wise, <laughs> probably not. God no. <laughs> I. I think maybe, but based on sheer notoriety. Okay, so let's go into this. In West Germany and the United States, the film was released as Andy Warhol's Frankenstein, not Flesh for Frankenstein, though um, only the title Frankenstein appeared on the print itself. Um, mm-hmm. It was presented in the Space Vision 3D process in premiere engagements. Uh, it was released in West Germany on November 30th, 1973, and was later shown on April 2nd, 1974 at Filmex, the Los Angeles International Film Exposition. It then got a wide-ish cinema release in May of 1974, when it opened at the Translux West Cinemas in New York. It got an X rating by the MPAA due to its explicit sexuality and violence, but Mm -hmm. it still managed to earn $4.7 million in rentals in North America. That is shocking. (laughs) Stop. You're lying. I don't believe that. I'm not lying. Um, By 1974, the Los Angeles Times stated that the film had grossed $7 million, and by 1976, over $20 million. My mind is blown. Mm -hmm. So here's the lesson, kids. Always go along with the mafia because they know a winner. Yep. Now, the thing is, though, like, I mean, this is all, these are all in the extra features of this movie um, and some, like, journals that I had found. It's not a box office mojo. And again, I'm like, well, I wonder if it's because of the distribution model where it's like, it's more, it's private. Because, like, the theaters weren't reporting any numbers because the mafia. Because <laughs> they made no money. Yeah. <laughs> it was all, like, money laundering and everything. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> So, film historian Steven Thrower claims that the, uh, he thinks that the film's huge success was largely due to the 3D, because it hadn't been done in so many years. But, mm-hmm. unfortunately, since Blood for Dracula was not filmed in 3D, that was the one that was not successful. That was actually considered right. a major financial disappointment. Wow, that is, mm-hmm. ins- that is insane to think about that, like, 
I, I guess, yeah, like really at the time people would be like, oh, 3D, like let's go watch this. And yep. then that's. I mean, at the time, as though we didn't all do that about five to seven years ago. Yeah, mm. 2009 for Avatar. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> but like, the, I mean, what? We have guts going in 3D in this movie, which is yeah, hilarious. It. So it, it's like the closest thing we have to this now is like My Bloody Valentine 3D and uh, Piranha 3D, right? <laughs> I, yeah, I really... definitely thought of Friday the 13th Part 3. Mm -hmm. look at the stick they really don't do like horror in 3d anymore well actually reyna that's not entirely true because we did just cover nurse 3d a couple of weeks Mm. ago Mm. and the 3d and that is (sighs) shit um okay but like that's that's also very campy (laughs) (laughs) oh i never said it was good (laughs) no it's good but like it's not good but it is good I feel like 3D is, like, a very good concept, but, like, over the years, like, film production history has, like, proved time and time again that, like, it just overcomplicates the production. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's because people call 3D a gimmick, right? Like, that's what it Mm -hmm. is. And I think that the the times we see it the best, and I know we joked about Avatar, but it's, like, James Cameron is using 3D as an immersive option. It's not a gimmick (laughs) in his films. And so I think that's honestly, if if (laughs) we want to see more 3D films get made, that's what it needs to be unless again we're doing like schlocky b horror movies and when you are using it as a gimmick but like you're embracing that gimmick with a hug right yeah agreed agreed so Flusher Frankenstein opens to mixed reviews. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter praised Morrissey's direction, stating that the 3D technology required to shoot the film helped create a more controlled look than Morrissey had achieved in earlier Warhol films. But the Los Angeles Times Review denounced the film's ironic detachment as chilling and forlorn, Ugh. whereas Newsweek lauded the film's intellectual send-up of mainstream audiences' increasing desire for violence and sex. Mm-hmm. Okay, so somebody got it. Yes. <laughs> so Bryanson Pictures, again, the mafia, they condemned the Los Angeles Times because the newspaper refused to publish critics' quotes on the film's advertisements due to its X rating. Bryanson Vice President and COO Ted Zeffro accused the paper of blatantly censoring public information and stated that the Los Angeles Times had defended their policy by explaining that some pornographic filmmakers had invented critics' quotes to use in their advertisements. <laughs> Okay. okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like like, like, like some, sometimes it happens today, right? Where like they'll pull just words or phrases from your yes. review and combine them to make it sound like a good quote. <laughs> yes. Like I think I I did like a negative reaction to a movie once, and then somebody pulled it because I put like it's a miracle this even happened, and it it's was a like, miracle. Yeah. Somebody's like, oh, they're gonna pull that and put it's a miracle. <laughs> yeah. Or or like it's not the best movie ever made, and they pull the best movie ever made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> It's it, it's all optics. That's it's really all it is. Selective reading. Yeah. yeah. Um, Zephyr did fight back though. He mentioned positive reviews from Playboy, Newsweek, and New York uh, as some of the, of the credible sources for quotes that he would like to see in the advertisements of the film. But I unfortunately couldn't find out if he won, like if he got them to add this in. But nevertheless, yeah. uh, more recently in 2012, Time Out polled authors, directors, actors, and critics who had worked in the horror genre on their top horror films, and Flesh of Frankenstein placed at number 98 of, of those 100 films. Hey. Oh, yeah. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, we're looking at an 86% with an average score of 7 out of 10. And Letterboxd users have given it a score of 6.6 out of 10. Boo. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. I believe that this film is very easily misunderstood. Like, if you go into it thinking, I'm going to watch a horror film that's based on the Frankenstein story, 
you're probably going to be disappointed. Like, you have to go into this anticipating ridiculous camp. It's a comedy. It is a comedy. It's almost more a comedy than it is even close to a horror film. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, even the violence is hilarious. Like, come oh on. God, the like, violence is so funny. The, the first decapitation scene, I just, like, the first uh, time I saw it, I had to pause and go, like, collect myself. I mean, I know that's jumping ahead a bit, but, like, okay, I, I died. Died. Not not the decapitation, but after the head is severed, and then Otto just, like, whacks the headless body <laughs> with his bat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the blackjack just, mm-hmm. like, beats it down. Well, because you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of that scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, whenever Darla whacks that girl in the street. Oh, <laughs> Don't really. hit me! <laughs> it really does. It, it really does have the energy of a Ren and Stimpy episode. Yeah. No, you're 100% right. But I will say, I've only seen this and Blood for Dracula once. I think Blood for Dracula is a better movie, but I think this is a more fun movie. Yeah. Okay. Blood for Dracula takes itself a little bit too serious at mm-hmm. times. Uh, Th- that's your more classic definition of camp because it's it's intentional, but it also seems like it's not fully intentional. Mm-hmm. Whereas this oh. one just seems like, oh, let's do a full camp send up of Frankenstein. Right. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. I mean, when I was deciding which of the two we should try to program for this camp block, uh, initially, I was going to go for Blood for Dracula, if only also, you know, right now, like you said, we haven't really covered a ton of Dracula films. And mm-hmm. all of the reviews that I read was like, oh, Flesh for Frankenstein is both gayer and also funnier and therefore yes. more campy. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I mean, I, I know I've talked to you about this and Rain, I know you know about this, but there's definitely a sexual assault component to that movie that I think we need to give our, re- our listeners a bit of a break. <laughs> Yeah. Like, you don't want to talk about sexual assault every fucking Again? week? Come on. <laughs> the, the the Dracula one has some intense moments, um, whereas the Frankenstein one is like... The Frankenstein one is one that I'll put on with a group of friends and just have right. a blast with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could do that with Dracula, too. You just might have to be, be a bit more cautious about who you're showing it to. Yeah, I gotta right. screen my friends first. <laughs> yeah, yes, vet them. <laughs> I mean, you should be doing that anyway, because really... Uh, yeah, that's that's true. But yeah, so that, that that that's what I've got. I went through that faster than I expected. So yay, Jesus! <laughs> what a what a fucking production history on right? this. Like my god, like I, I I wasn't expecting it at all because I I was thinking, oh, this is gonna be one of those films that you just can't find anything on. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> that's crazy. That might explain why for the longest time this thing like did not have like a great like home video release. Well, uh, so apparently Morrissey was constantly asking for astronomical prices to license this film out. So I don't know what Vinegar Syndrome did. Again, thank you, Vinegar Syndrome, because your 4K set is very thorough and awesome. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't don't know. I don't know if they wore him down or if he just finally said, fuck it. Well, because two companies ironically wore him down the same year. Right? Because Blood for Dracula by Severin got Mm -hmm. released. Which is like, I don't know what happened if he had a change of heart, but like randomly this movie went from being like randomly super out of print for the longest time. I think the last time it even got an American release was the Criterion DVDs, right? which were like single digit Criterion numbers. Like that's how early in the collection they are to like randomly getting like, oh yeah, no, here's a 4K release where it has two different 3D versions. It's loaded with special features. Like when it happened, I was like, Damn, this is like a miracle this even happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
I'm happy it exists. I mean, it's a thing, you know, Joe told me to buy this last year, this fucking set. And I was like, it's $50 for this movie I've never seen. I've never heard of it. Fuck you, Joe. I'm not buying it. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. But I, I did. <laughs> but honestly, it's a thing where I just need to listen to Joe more often because honestly, I, I it's almost like um like an artifact. Like this is a very nicely done set. I'm sorry, we're not even sponsored by Vinegar Syndrome, y'all. It's just a really nice set. <laughs> but also Vinegar Syndrome if you're out there. Sponsor us, please. Send, or send us more movies, actually, because we, we did go. pay for this. <laughs> it really is like one of the best sets they've put out, I think. It's beautiful. Even just the fucking cover art is stunningly yeah. gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Oh, the outer box? Good lord. Mm-hmm. Especially when you know what it's referencing. <laughs> right. Oh, it's so great. Like <sighs> But yeah. Uh, okay, well why don't we why don't we start talking about what happens in this film? Because it hits the ground running with the incest. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what an opener. <laughs> so we open in a lab on a pair of children, Monica, played by Nicoletta Elmi, as well oh. as Eric. Go ahead. Reina. Do you recognize the little girl who plays Monica? No, can you? So have you seen Lamberto Bava's Demons? Yes, I own it. She is the usher lady that doesn't speak the entire time, that just stares at everyone creepily. Swear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she looks exactly the same, only grown up. It's okay. uncanny. I'm going to watch Demons later tonight now and look for her. <laughs> oh, nice. She's oh, there. Demons. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Italian production. So Monica is there with Eric, her presumably twin brother, who is played by Marco Leofredi. And basically, they are playing dolls, but it's in a very gruesome fashion. Like, the credits begin slash end with them decapitating a doll. Yep. Um, It's actually, I I have to wonder if Barry Sonnenfeld stole that for Adam's Family Values. Hmm. You almost would think, right? Because this would be like the era of film that would like influence him the most, probably. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And that that movie is plenty campy. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure, and knows its horror history as well. Very much so. And it's literally a brother and sister with a guillotine. Uh-huh. We need to cover that movie. There we go. <laughs> so. Uh, later, they are riding in a pony-driven cart across the castle grounds with their mother, Baroness Katrin Frankenstein, played by Monique Van Voren. Um, my favorite part of this movie. <laughs> I, she is hilarious. I want to steal all of her lines. I mean, like, should we drive by some peasants and she just goes, such trash. <laughs> <laughs> She definitely delivers the camp category. Oh, yes. a hundred percent. So among these peasants that she drives by and then she catches uh, groundskeeper employee Nicholas having a bit of a romp in a tent. And Nicholas is played by Joe D'Alessandro, who apparently was a huge fucking deal in the early 70s. Like we're talking massive sex symbol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does have an interview in this 4K set, and I didn't really include a lot of it in my production because it's just, you know, I mean, it's just how one actor came aboard. But he was just, yeah, he was in the factory, and uh, basically Morrissey was like, hey, we want to put you in our movies. And he did, and he was even in one, it was one of Morrissey's, I think it was 1968's Flesh, in which he plays a gigolo, but I think there's a queer component to it as well. I think he actually has sex with men in the movie. Hmm. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. um, so some of the comments that I'm going to make are informed by the audio commentary on this disc, which is from film historians and authors Sam Deegan, Heather Drain, and Kat Ellinger. And yeah, they kind of fall over themselves talking about this guy, Joe, because apparently he was just such a big fucking deal. But also, it's really noticeable that we get so much male full frontal nudity in this film, because apparently Morrissey was like one of the only directors who was doing that in this time period. It was extremely taboo. Which is bizarre, because when you figure out, like, when you like hear about how conservative he yes. is... Like, the fact he was doing this. <laughs> I will say, admittedly, I was a bit underwhelmed with the full frontal male nudity here. Um, Only because, I mean, we get, they're all far away shots. None of them are really that up close. Except, I mean, we get kind of like a flash of dickhead in the brothel scene, or the bordello scene. But the other two instances of full frontal male nudity, it's, uh, you know, Nicholas walking into a bedroom, and then we see it from far away. And then we see, you know, the creature's penis, again, from, like, the view of the window up above. I, mm-hmm. I was a little disappointed with that. Mm-hmm. Dude, I cannot believe I you were saying that about the scene where he walks into the bedroom with Katrine. Like, that is literally, like, a moment of strutting. I mean, sure, it's not erect or anything, but... In, like, a mainstream <laughs> film? Look, these people made Deep Throat and that Devil and Miss Jones movie or whatever the fuck. <laughs> Listen, they they said, oh, this movie's going to be in 3D. We got to hold back on the penis for this <laughs> one. Right. Well, I mean, but you know what, though? Look where we are today, right? Have y'all started The Boys season three yet? I haven't right. even started that oh series. God. Oh, well, there's literally a scene where a guy shrinks down and crawls inside his boyfriend's urethra to pleasure him and go to his prostate. <laughs> But then okay. he but then he sneezes and embiggens himself while he's inside his boyfriend's dick and blows him apart. <laughs> I have to watch this show now. I'm it's gonna add that it to my kind list. of show. Yeah. I'm surprised you haven't, Randy. It sounds like you'd be right up your alley. I know, like I, I saw the Blu-ray of it at like a record store and I was like, oh no, wait, this series sounds cool. There you go. There anyway, you go. sorry, continue. Penises. Uh, yeah, so clearly Nicholas is being set up as a bit of a Lothario character when Katrine comes across him, but we have no idea who any of these characters are or what the fuck is going on in this movie just yet, so it's mm-hmm. very much like, is he important? Will he come back? We don't know. Yeah. So we go inside Castle Frankenstein, and we <laughs> are introduced to the Baron, who is played by the one and only Udo Kier. Um, by the way, so... I, I, he is very attractive. Mm-hmm. In this movie, yes. Very. Yeah, not as much in, in Dracula because he's got that slick back Dracula hair. But um, he, I mean, look, the, I, I had to Google some pictures of young Udo Kier. Holy mm-hmm. shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> he is a very attractive young man. And he's got, like, that cool long hair in this movie. Like, I just love his look in this movie. And I don't even like long hair. But, it, I mean, like, it's it's long, it's long, but not long. But, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's good. Well, it's just weird because, okay, so we've only touched on him once when we covered Blade last year. And obviously that's Udo Kier at a very different time and place in his career. But you can still see the intensity in all of his performances. But here matched with that, like, youthful vitality, it's it's a lot of charisma for this movie. Like, he is very well cast as this kind of dynamic, uh, questionable researcher. Well, and... Correct me if I'm wrong, but he is gay too, right? He is. Yes. Yeah. You gay man. Um, and uh, yeah, Joe, I know you'll want to do this, Joe. But um, 
everyone plug, uh, if you want to see a recent Udo Kier queer movie, please check out Swan Song. It's very, very, very good. Mm-hmm. Not horror, but really good. Not horror. Apparently, he lives about 20 minutes from me. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, you mean we could have gotten him? Ah, I, I just expect to, I just expect one day to run into him and be like, oh, my God. <laughs> How weird. How weird would that be? Just at the grocery store. I mm, I love these movies so much, like Flesh and Blood for Dracula in particular, that I would, I'd, I'd probably damn near faint. You need to keep them on your person at all times so that there if you go. ever do come across him, he can sign them for you. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, ma'am, I'd just like to let my dog take a shit in this park. No, you need to sign my Blood for Frankenstein. No, you need to sign my gallbladder. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, fuck my gallbladder. Make me feel alive. Um, uh, actually, Reyna, you are right. His Wikipedia, um, he moved to Palm Springs, California in 1991. Mm-hmm. Been there since. God. Okay, so we're introduced to Frankenstein, and basically it's while well, he's bitching of his manservant, Otto, who is played by Arno Jurging. And uh, yeah, basically we're getting some kind of scary genocidal kind of shit where he's talking about the supremacy of the serbian people and how they need to abduct a town person so that they can complete their experiment um because he really wants the finest nazam Mm -hmm. which anybody looks at google uh it's latin for nose oh okay i know right i thought i just assumed he wanted it's meant the head because he's going for heads but maybe there's something about like serbians having a certain type of nose Maybe. That's where you get the weird stuff in this movie that you're like, uh. Oh, man. I mean, trust me, though, when I was trying to Google some of this, I came across a Serbian film many, many times. Oh, Oh, no. No. Like, no, Google. That is a different movie. I really don't want that one. I I like that movie, but oh, my God. Like, no. 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 (laughs) No. So Frankenstein runs into this woman and the two children outside and we quickly deduce that they are husband and wife with the kids and she is like, hey, are we going to hang out? And he is like, nope, I got to go to the lab. I got work to do. So they agree they will meet at dinner later on. We also, because this is the beginning of showing how the Baroness will, she wants things and then immediately gets bored or she's like unsatisfied with them because Mm -hmm. she's like, oh, this school we sent the kids to is terrible and he's like bitch you chose the school <laughs> mm-hmm. so the family is like the most interesting aspect of this like oh, frankenstein yeah. adaptation to me because obviously the most famous adaptation of frankenstein like the 1930s universal film mm-hmm. um right. the whole point is that like oh he's going to get married and here he's right. like married with kids and they're like all extremely like unhappy and totally fucked up mm-hmm I mean, yeah, they're brother and sister. <laughs> like, yeah. But, but that also goes, I mean, because when he's talking about, oh, like, I mean, it's not master race, I guess. We have this, like, this, well, actually, you know, it kind of is. He's trying to make a it master is. race of Serbians. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. eugenics, yeah. Well, but that's, I mean, because that, not that why, at least in, like, um, like some monarchies, like, you know, like, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, they would all be incestual because they wanted to maintain the bloodline. Yeah. Yeah, it's blood purity bullshit. Yeah, yeah. you would have to be, like, part of royal blood to be considered in contention for like the crown yeah Mm -hmm. 
so so it's weird because it, it's like it takes like that Frankenstein concept and like spins it on his head in like two like very horrifying ways. Like one, it's like deconstruction of like nuclear family and two, the whole royal blood or like incestual, like keep everything pure type of reading. Well, mm-hmm. honestly, we, we, OK, we're, we're adapting, quote unquote, frankenstein here right Mm -hmm. i have to assume is was it public domain by this point because this is i mean we have all the names there are parts that are there but this is not a very faithful adaptation of frankenstein Mm -mm. no i think it was probably public domain at this point and like you could just do whatever with the name maybe but i love that again out of all the plots he could have come up with for frankenstein this is what we got (laughs) yeah it's it's weird yeah, I just checked it. It is public domain because the novel was published in 1818 and public domain is usually about 100 years. 100 later. years. Yeah. Yeah. So the only thing that isn't public domain with Frankenstein, right, is like the Jack Pierce makeup. Right. But but that yeah. will be public domain in like 10 years. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Give it time and then we'll get Killer Frankenstein meets uh, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh and oh. we'll all be having a lot of fun. Um, you know what I'm waiting for is Gone with the Wind, but like Revenge. (laughs) Revenge of the Slaves or something. (laughs) Oh boy. Uh, Okay, so husband and wife go their separate ways, and we go into this honestly stunning set of the laboratory. It is massive, it's huge, it's so interestingly decorated and laid out and staged. And there they have a pair of male and female creatures. Uh, The male is kind of unimportant because he doesn't last long, but the female is there throughout the film. She is played by Dalila Di Lazaro. She does not ever speak, but she does get a lot of credit from folks for doing a kind of like autopsy of Jane Doe performance where like she's always there and she has things to do, but it can't be showy because she's actually not very responsive. I was actually, because, okay, I mean, like, spoiler alert, but, like, the, the the male creature will speak later. So I was I was surprised that happened. and mm-hmm. But then when it happens, I was surprised that we don't get a, a speaking female creature in this movie. And I wonder why, why we don't have that. It feels well. like the emphasis is on Nicholas and Sasha, the character that we've not yet talked about. But, like, yeah. so much of the relationship seems to be about men in this movie. Hmm. Can I bring up, like, a quick little point that, yeah. like... This for as cool as this lab looks, it looks like like a high school locker room. Oh yeah, <laughs> also that yeah. <laughs> like it's got tile everywhere and mm-hmm. it's like laid out weird. It's it's very much laid out for like wide shots and like the objects are there for the three D. Like you can oh, definitely sure. tell. It looks like they retrofit a large swimming pool or something, and then they yeah. were just like, "Cool, take out one side of it, and we'll shoot here." Like, it's got, like, a very aquatic feel to it. it like, does. whether it be a shower room or a pool, it's, it's like, I, I just want to go to the bathroom in that lab. <laughs> <laughs> just pop a squat and take a shit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not that graphically, but yeah, sure. Um, it's Flesh for Frankenstein. Yes, it would be that graphic. Indeed. Oh, yeah, and then it would be right. thrust at the camera in 3D. Now now look at me. I'm becoming some part of that crowd that's like, oh, I'm mortified of this. <laughs> We're going to be doing like, what is it? Co- coprophilia? Coprophilia where you eat shit? Oh, Ew. my God. <laughs> moving on. Right. Moving on. <laughs> that Serbian film influence on trays. Well, I mean, we unfortunately, go. we did not cover Pink Flamingos last week, but we almost did. <laughs> We're all the better for it. Yeah. So, yeah, the next scene is basically just uh, Katrin 
telling the children like don't pay attention to any of the rumors that you're hearing and this is where we realize oh, okay everyone knows that they are the product of incest and they are fucking weird and people have taken notice of it so i kind of love that the film doesn't try to dance around it very much and they're like the only wealthy people in this area it seems like right like it's that castle and then there's a village yeah. seems like it yeah. yeah it's a monopoly there we go so in a long take, we get a dinner sequence and the camera just kind of slowly tracks back and forth as they disagree about how best to move forward with the children not going to this fancy school anymore. I love this to the point where I got mad when there was a cut. <laughs> right? You got that Morrissey long take right there. Yep. He's like, here uh-huh. you go. This is what you're paying me for. I just I love the framing of it because he could have just stayed at like an extreme long shot and instead he cuts it so that you're hearing snippets of the conversation but you can't see the person delivering the dialogue and I'm just like oh visually that's really interesting because I want him to move the camera and then he does but he does it very slowly and it's just it's very satisfying. Yeah, it's interesting when you especially remember that they're using 3D cameras. So Mm -hmm. you're still getting like all this camera movement. Like he's still not afraid to play around with it with a camera that I assume is like gargantuan at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, like, you know, Morrissey just didn't he didn't like that camera. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think any any filmmaker likes 3D cameras except James Cameron. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe William Castle, too, right? He loves yeah. a gimmick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he was all gimmicks. Godfather <laughs> of gimmicks. <laughs> but not the Godfather, because he didn't have money in this movie. No. no. This movie was Godfather and gimmicks. There we go. <laughs> hey, no, I'm kidding. Hey. Well, did either one of you watch the 3D cut of this movie? I tried watching I tried. the red and blue one. <laughs> I found it really bad. Yeah, mm. no. I, I turned it off 20 minutes okay. in. <laughs> Okay. I mean, I, I, I honestly, I, I only want to see Olga's death in 3D. I, I'll, I'll just, like, fast forward to that scene later and just watch it. You know mm. what I almost did? I almost, like, when this set came out and I heard, like, not only did they had have the anaglyph 3D, but they had, like, the proper, like, digital 3D as well. Oh. I almost bought a PlayStation VR headset just oh, to no. watch it like that. <laughs> oh, you know what? I have that. <laughs> I never use it because it takes, like, 20 minutes to plug in the fucker, but maybe I'll do that. Um, yeah, maybe try that instead of the red and blue, because that didn't look great. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll go spend the 20 minutes. Bye, y'all. I'm going to go plug in this headset. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know how that goes. Yeah. 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 We'll talk to you in a bit. So we leave the castle behind for a little bit so that we can go to a field where we see Nicholas, the guy that Katrine saw fucking the woman earlier. He is there with his friend Sasha, who is played by Surgeon Zalonovic. Mm-hmm. and uh it, it's interesting uh on the audio commentary the various film historians and critics they talk about how several people in this film were cast because morrissey thought that they had very pleasing faces and i'm not gonna say that uh surgeon is not a great actor but he does have a pretty face he does um this character I almost think it's like asexual representation. Yeah, a lot of people have interpreted this character as either asexual or like traditionally gay. Mm. Oh, I could see that. Okay, I see that. Okay, that's an interesting read because I don't think I caught on any of those. 
Well, I mean, asexual because he doesn't seem interested in sex. Period. So that's where I get the right. asexual from. But mm-hmm. you could, I could see where you could make the argument where he's gay because we only see him be disinterested in women. We right. don't really get an opportunity to see if he would or would not be interested in a man. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it's tricky too because the closest scene where you could infer some kind of sexual interest is in the brothel sequence, and it's more the way that Morrissey is shooting Nicholas's butt. But because of match on action, we infer that it is Sasha looking at the butt. Right. I actually actually got more of a queer read from Otto. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's interesting. Well, okay, because, you know, I'll wait till we get there. (laughs) There there is one scene specifically where I'm like, I think he's pretty gay. (laughs) Yeah, bookmark that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, the Renfield character has often felt that way, and he feels like the Renfield character to Dr. Frankenstein in this movie. Yeah, right. it fe- feels less like the Igor-like type mm-hmm. character in this one, and mm-hmm. more like a Renfield of like, it, it has a more human element to the role, rather right. than just your typical like, oh, hunchback assistant does mm-hmm. anything for Dr. Frankenstein, no questions asked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because he loves him. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, uh, Arno Jurging, the actor who plays Otto, was apparently in competition with Udo Kier for the role and deeply resented the fact that he was not successful. So <laughs> they they apparently like used the tension between them to great effect on film to like increase the sort of stakes, the dramatic stakes between the two characters. Right. All it right. is a very good like on-screen duo, I will admit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Nicholas is basically like, hey, Sasha, don't become a monk. Have you ever tried getting your dick wet? Come with me to the village. <laughs> we'll go to the brothel. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we get a little bit of 3D organ action in the lab. Almost all of the stuff about, like, what do we want to do with this master race? You're just like, nobody cares. Just show us the the really fancy, gory prosthetics. I was confused by this, though, because aren't these are the lungs that, that we will see later that he's holding for him, right? Mm-hmm. I believe so, yeah. The Baron says, oh, the seminal, the seminal vesicles are too long. And seminal vesicles are part mm-hmm. of the penis. So yep. I was really confused why he was saying that these lungs were seminal vesicles. I, mm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Paul Morrissey didn't really care about being <laughs> medically accurate for this film. <laughs> That's so funny because yeah. I just interpreted it as, oh, Frankenstein is kind of a shit doctor. <laughs> like, you know he's what? not Dr. Frankenstein. He's All Baron Frankenstein. Morrissey also might be kind of a shit screenwriter. Who's to say? Well, so yeah. It's all of the above. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so at this point, Katrine is out for a picnic with the children. She stumbles on Nicholas having sex again. So she's basically like, you know what? You, you need to come to the castle tomorrow. I'm going to punish you. But secretly, she's like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I want to fuck you. But not before yelling at this woman. Get out of here, you filthy whore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she's very sexist. She only seems to care about men. And like, if women catch her eye in any capacity, it's basically like, you're a whore, get out of here. Which could tie into the, oh, the man monster talks and the female one doesn't. Like, Mm -hmm. that could just be this world that they live in. Right. Women don't have any voices unless they're high-end aristocrats who are also incesty. Yeah. In In a weird way. This movie has a lot to say, you know? (laughs) <laughs> yeah so much you're reaching 
Yeah, I mean, there is a class critique to be made in this film, for sure. Like, that's where all of the satire comes from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's weird, because, like, you see, like, the notes of it, too, and then you watch Blood for Dracula, and that's, like, all class satire and critique. Uh, Okay. And then you're like, oh, I wonder if, like, the seeds of that were planted in Flesh for Frankenstein. Yeah, probably Hmm. so. Well, I mean, also, because because Morrissey was so focused on the camera in this one, he didn't have to worry about that in Blood for Dracula. Yeah, where, yeah, like you like you said it's just like a standard film okay let's pump out this screenplay let's say what we really want to say here whereas this one obviously troubled production yeah also they were like on a schedule if i recall Mm -hmm. they had to hurry up and finish this so that they could even do blood for dracula yes but but they had no issues meeting that deadline like again this movie was done in time on budget like it was all things considered this was not a troubled production except Mm -hmm. for the fact that morrissey hated the 3d yeah <laughs> so that probably did occupy a lot of his time away from the screenplay. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. So we're back in the lab and we've got more of this like, here's what I want to do. My grand plan. The plot is kind of incidental in this movie, so it's not a huge yeah. deal. But basically, Frankenstein and Otto decide we're gonna go to the brothel. That's where we're gonna find our perfect specimen it should be noted that both of the children are eavesdropping on this conversation as frankenstein talks about like yeah i went to a brothel once i didn't really like it the women were too sexual and their boobs were too big i oh i mean we got some tiggle bitties in this movie um but at the risk of being like is it necessary like why are the kids in this movie i do think it it probably is of like Oh, every Frankenstein adaptation before this, he's at the end of the day trying to get married mm. and trying to start a family. And this mm-hmm. is like, no, here's a Frankenstein that's like miserable in his family. Okay. They're like a nuclear family, but they're not perfect. I think it's more of like a light satire of like traditional Frankenstein status quo. Oh, I actually even like it as a, yeah, again, like in Female Trouble last week, we're talking about like uh, the rejecting of your of the normal traditional family. And in this <laughs> one, we have a quote unquote normal traditional family. Yep. Minus the incest. Um, and no one's happy. Yeah, they're all miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think also, I mean, I think if we jump back briefly to the class critique, it's rich people stick to their own social circles they intermarry they end up with these like bastard children and the movie gets a big laugh i think at the end of the film when it's saying okay well these kids are even worse than their parents were and look at how demonic they are it's also coming Mm -hmm. you know in the early 70s when we had a lot of like bad kid movies in the 50s and 60s too Mm. wow okay so let's go to the bordello I do feel like Morrissey is going the extra mile to make sure that we get a lot of nudity in 3D, particularly with these sex workers. It's interesting. Um, Udo Kier's his line delivery of all these other developed women and the lads' breasts. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the line delivery is so good. It's so good. Yeah, so we should also note that human sexuality is not treated in a conventional fashion in this film. So, like, no. all the sex that we will see is very unorthodox. I don't even want to say that it's fetish or kink because I think the purpose is to get a laugh out of us. So, like, instead of seeing traditional sex, what we see is Nicholas getting his knees licked. Okay, yeah. sure. The licking will be prominent even once he gets to the Baroness and the mm-hmm. the Foley work on these licking sounds. <laughs> so wet. Oh my so moist. God. <laughs> Gross. Yeah, I've been always like 
ever since I saw this, like fully convinced that the sex is not there to be sexy. No, the sex is there for like added shock value to make you go, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, that man's knees are getting licked. What the hell? Or did just like Joe said to get a laugh. Yeah. It's just, it's so ridiculous then that this movie ends up getting an X rating in part because of its sexuality and nudity. And you're just like, who the fuck is getting turned on by this? I no. mean, I I joked about the peen earlier, and it was appreciated. But at the end of the day, do I think this movie is sexy? Uh, well, absolutely hmm. not. No, it look. We all know why this movie has an X rating, and it is one hundred percent the fisting scene. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll yeah. we'll get there. Wait, not sexy, not sexy, but no. not sexy. No, hilarious, <laughs> but, no. but not sexy. Yeah, my God. Just upsetting. So uh, the sexy fence stops when the sex workers discover a gecko. And in the ensuing chaos, Frankenstein and Otto confuse Nicholas, who is the Lothario they really should be after. And they instead fixate on Sasha as this perfect specimen. So they say, okay, there's our guy. We're going to get him later. The, the, the dramatic irony here, right? Like I love Because mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we, the audience, know um, y'all are going after a celibate monk or soon to be monk. Yes. So when 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 Frankenstein's like two girls, one man, he must be very powerful. It is hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just waiting for this other shoe to drop. Yeah, because that sex worker could not get anything out of sasha like he could not be less interested in her to the point where i thought she was just gonna up and be like all right i'm out i i can't do anything with this guy (laughs) (laughs) um okay so basically what follows is the baron and otto end up knocking nicholas out and then they cut off sasha's head with a giant (laughs) 3d pair of scissors this i mean If you're not into this movie by this point, I feel like it's not a movie for you. This scene sold this movie for me. This this movie, this scene in particular, is the scene where I was like, I am all in on this, Mm -hmm. 100%. Mm -hmm. Because the way it happens, he just like runs up with like the giant pair of like, they look like gardening shears first and foremost. Well, and we, we, we get the 3D, too, because he shoves them right at that camera. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So you got the gimmicky 3D. You got the comedic him just running up and just chopping the head off. And then the way the body reacts. Yeah. I mean, again, with Otto just, like, hits him with that fucking club. <laughs> yeah, because, like, it's like it's like the end of Friday the 13th. Like, the body's still moving and all this blood is yes. squirting out in real time. And it, the severed head looks really good, too. It does. Awesome. and. <laughs> I'm, I'm, hey, <laughs> it, I think it does. I, 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 the the way the eyes look on the severed head, it's um. Mm. I actually think it's a little creepy looking, but like um, yeah, I like it. I, like I it. think the blood looks really bad. Oh, that, that's that's that like giallo paint blood though. Yeah, it's like red paint. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is what we did in the seventies. Mm-hmm. So you got the body there just dancing around and blood spewing out, and then Otto just pulls out like a bat and just starts clubbing the body down. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And you're like, what in the hell is going on here? But I agree that this is like the point in the movie where like, if you do not find this like hilarious, like this movie might not be for you. Well, I I think though, because I I don't know. I mean, because Joe, you said like some of the reviews, like people didn't think it was funny or they weren't picking up on the humor. Mm -hmm. And I think that's always something interesting with something that 
I don't know, like, because, again, I guess I could see how maybe you could watch this and be like, oh, it's not trying to be funny. It's just bad. And that's why it's funny. But I I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of this is very clearly trying to be humorous. And so I'm Uh a little worried about the people that watch this and don't pick up (laughs) on the humor. (laughs) Yeah, it, it seemed that there were two types of reviews that were critiquing the humor. It was either people who were taking the film at face value and saying, this is a badly done horror film the comedy is getting in the way or people who would say well there is a joke in there but it's just one joke over and over again and i would vehemently disagree with both of those claims yeah i would too um Mm -hmm. i think part of what people might struggle with with the film is that the humor is deadpan like the movie doesn't treat anything as funny it knows it's funny and it lets the audience figure that out so like it took me until this scene to realize oh this movie is really going for comedy like it's going for laughs yeah. no yeah because honestly the i mean before this the only time where i was like okay this is hilarious it is honestly all those baroness lines but that's maybe just an, i'm going after this bitchy female yeah exactly but again there's still like some subtle lines but yeah the, the way this is just presented like i want to say what we're probably about a third of the way through this movie at this point but like mm-hmm. <sighs> God bless this scene. <laughs> yeah. And it, it won't get any less weird from here. So it's like, oh, if I like oh. this, then I'm in for a good ride to come. Yeah. That's putting it real lightly that it's like not going to get any weirder. <laughs> I mean, the last 10 minutes of this movie, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's certainly something. Okay. So we get uh, like absolutely triumphant music on the soundtrack as the Baron and Otto prep Sasha's head and put it onto this male. They always call them zombies in this film. So they're not creatures. I wonder, because maybe it's because, um, I don't know, Night of the Living Dead was super popular five years before. So they're like, oh, let's call them that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are trying know. to do Living Dead, so zombies do technically work. It's just it it feels weird in a Frankenstein film to hear the mm-hmm. word zombie. Yeah. So uh, Nicholas ends up arriving at the castle. He has woken up from being knocked out. His friend is dead. He he actually did technically wake up in the morning and he saw that Sasha was decapitated and he Mm -hmm. just like dragged the body away and i spontaneously started laughing that he not only is just like "Hmm, i guess my friend is dead but then shows up at the castle like oh well i had to come because my employer said i needed to be here but he does take a moment to explain to the baroness like oh yeah so i i just buried my friend on the side of the road no okay i wrote this line down nonchalantly he says Mm -hmm. well somebody hit me in the back of the head dragged my friend into the bushes and cut off his head (laughs) Yep. Yep. like oh that's a common occurrence it's like moving on (laughs) and part of i think the reason why this ended up working so well for me is because i think d'alessandro is such a bad actor Mm -hmm. like he can't sell sincerity but this line he's trying to be but it's such a ridiculous thing to say given the circumstances that it just made it doubly funny it's like it circled back on itself and became even funnier it'll be fun when you do finally because joe you haven't seen blood for dracula yet right i haven't no okay oh he he plays the rapist hero in the movie (laughs) that's uh he yeah he... <laughs> what what more could be said from that statement yeah well yeah. it's it's like i don't even know how to elaborate on that like nope that, 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 is, that is just what it is <laughs> yeah 
problematic elements in that movie, but mm-hmm. uh, the energy is there. I will oh, say that. What, uh, I okay. mean, I okay. I like that movie a lot, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So after he makes this confession, Nicholas and the Baroness immediately fuck. Of course, we also have the kids watching, so these kids are demonstrably pervy. That's all great. Afterwards, she says, okay, I'm going to hire you to be the dinner server so that you can stop, you know, fucking women out in the fields and you can just be (laughs) in here fucking me all the time. She also encourages him to use the modern plumbing every day. To which I'm like, is that just a commentary that she thinks he's hot, but that he smells like shit? Well, okay, wait, the modern plumbing. So does that mean he can use a chamber pot instead of a wooden bucket? Oh, am I just misreading the sexual euphemism? And she's like, the modern plumbing is in like your dick in my vag. Oh, maybe. I I, I literally thought it was like, oh, you get to use a metal pot instead of a wooden bucket. (laughs) (laughs) Why not both? (laughs) Yeah, let's do both. Let's say it's both. (laughs) Yeah. But also like you got you got Frankenstein's lab. That's literally like a bathroom. So, you know, maybe Rain has already said she would definitely go number two in there. So. That's the big takeaway from this episode. That's the subtitle for this episode. Raina goes number two. (laughs) Okay, so we cut to Frankenstein. He's out fondling organs. Uh, He is fucking this female zombie. And Otto is just staring at him absolutely wide-eyed. This scene... This. It is wild. Mm-hmm. So th- uh-huh. th- th- this is the scene where I was like, I think Otto's in love with Baron von Frankenstein because mm-hmm. he, you know, he's doing the thing where he's like rubbing his, the sweat off of his brow or whatever. But if you watch, because the thing is, when you're watching this, you're watching Frankenstein because you're watching him look at this body and you know, wondering what he's about to do with it. Right. But if you look at Otto, he is looking at Frankenstein with such. It's not even passion, but it's like adoration, where he looks like he is in love with this man. And that's where I got my queer read from, from Otto. Hmm. I could see it. I don't know. I mean, I think Otto is an inherently queer figure. He seems to lack any idea about what sex is. So I took this as he's studying Frankenstein to see like, oh, when you shove your hand into someone and play with their internal organs, that's what sex is. And that's why he ends up trying to replicate this with Olga later in the film. Right. Interesting. Hmm. I've never really thought of it like that. I mean, again, I'm just like, the, the film doesn't do anything with it. It's just, it's really just this one scene. Because, like, yeah, yeah, like you said, he'll go after Olga later. But still. I feel like that's the problem with this movie, like, oh like here's a serious critique no it's just like a general issue with this movie is it like unlike blood for dracula it presents a lot of these broad ideas but it Mm -hmm. doesn't do anything with any of them yeah because we gotta move on to the next shocking set piece (laughs) exactly exactly the 3d camera yeah it definitely seems content to just kind of say like here's a weird thing what do you want to do with this do you want (laughs) to unpack this oh yeah now we got to move on to a shocking organ desecration scene i mean i mean look (laughs) yeah i mean uh, (laughs) go on go on (laughs) i i i i I don't know i I, again i i knew the way that this scene was described in the wikipedia plot summary was like he uses the wounds for sexual pleasure so my mind i was like okay Mm -hmm. I, i he's gonna fuck a womb which this isn't the first time that we've seen something like this joe because in our very first year we covered auto rep with dead people which does yes. feature a zombie fucking the uh, a hole in the side of a corpse but mm-hmm. 
this is 1973, not 2008. <laughs> and um, this is upsetting and hilarious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll see how you fare with the same ideas when it is treated deadly serious, Trace. Uh, maybe when we hop over to Reyna's show sometime, either in the future or past, oh depending <laughs> on when that episode drops. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, br we'll bring the heat for that one. <laughs> Well, speaking of heat, your fun fact for the scene is that apparently the lighting in this particular set was very hot. You can actually see Udo Kier is visibly sweating in this sequence. And those were real animal body parts. Like they were using sheep, Oof. I think you said earlier, Trace. So they apparently stunk really Ugh. fucking bad. And under the hot lights, it was extra awful. So Udo Kier was trying not to gag the entire scene, and Morrissey was just like, do it better, do it faster. <laughs> so, okay, we, we've kind of been describing this scene, but Joe, for anyone who has not watched this movie, please just tell them exactly what is happening in this scene. Okay, so they've got the female zombie creature on this kind of table, but it can be manipulated so it's uh, vertical or horizontal. So they manipulate it so it's horizontal. Frankenstein kind of climbs on top of her. She has a suture wound down her abdomen that he ends up sticking his hand into, but it also appears like he is fucking her traditionally because she is yeah. nude. So you get the sense that he is penetrating her in two different ways. It, yeah. It's very <laughs> metaphorical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, this woman doesn't speak. She doesn't have a name. Like, we don't know who she is. So it's very much like, I mean, I, I think one of the critiques that you could make about this film is that the sex is antiseptic, but it's also very transactional. So like, even though Frankenstein is trying to get off, he actually seems more excited by, like, this isn't a person to him. This isn't traditional sex. This is like, science, like he's getting yeah. off on touching his science experiment. Uh, I want, should we offer a content warning at the in the show notes for this? Because I mean, I know it's a corpse, but like, would we still consider this sexual assault? I mean, I think it's very disturbing. Yeah, that's true. I I'd say throw the content warning. Yeah, on let's. I'll, I'll do it just in case. I'm just, I'm just thinking about that that director of the sadness who made that joke about how corpses can't give consent, and then the audience revolted against him. <laughs> yeah. Oh. If, if you want to hear that story, head on over to the Patreon episode on the sadness because we got yeah. some extra deeds. Yeah. Oh my! I still need to watch that movie. That's fun. Uh, yeah. Well, it's good. Uh, <laughs> maybe not fun. <laughs> it's worth a watch. I heard that's not a fun movie, eh? Mm. Reyna, I, I think you're going to think it's fun. Okay. I'm twisted enough. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, of course, this is also where we get the iconic line to which this film is best known. Uh, <laughs> to know death, Otto, you have to fuck life in the gallbladder. Yeah, so I don't know what line from Last Tango in Paris this is specifically spoofing, but yeah, as I said, Morrissey hated that movie, and that's why he put this line in this movie. Fair enough. Huh. I mean, it Never is hella that. memorable. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the line from this movie. Like, mm -hmm. well, I didn't know that walking in, and so as soon as it happened, I, I, I messaged Joe and was like, this fucking gallbladder line, and he was like, mm -hmm. that is the line. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the line everybody quotes like when this movie is like shown anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just uh, not not something you hear every day. It's such a funny scene, like, the way it plays out. Like, and now I'm picturing Udo Kier, like, trying not to gag the entire mm -hmm. time. Yeah. And it's like, 
this is a vile movie. Get it out of my sight. No, I'm kidding. Right. <laughs> it's just like, it like adds an element of like, oh, it's kind of funny because he was a little bit miserable behind set, but they're also working with animal corpses, so mm-hmm. they probably deserved it. <laughs> Part of me is like, ugh, Morrissey should have capitalized that on that. He should have been like, oh, I'm going to take a page from William Castle. I'll just release this scene in Smellovision. Oh, <laughs> good God. Could you imagine? Oh, my God. Just like a scratch and sniff. What? I do like that reading you have where, like, he doesn't view her as a person. Like, it's just like he views it as just like his work, his like pile of like body parts just like lying there. But like, he's so dedicated to his work that he's like almost getting off on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, too, when you contrast it to the way his sister approaches sex, right, which is very much as Trey suggested, it's it's similarly transactional, but she gets bored with everything so quickly. So she yeah. wants the fresh new thing. It's almost hilarious how quickly she's willing to dispose of things as long as there's something else that she can fuck later. But that's your commentary, right, in your class critique. Yes. Because it's not its not even just, oh, she's bored with it. It's also, oh, she realized that what she wants, she doesn't really want. Because that is that is literally how she dies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. I, I will tell you, too, when, when she was saying tighter, tighter, I was like, bitch, no! Yeah. <laughs> we all know where that scene is going. And exactly. that also makes it funny, question mark. Yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. This whole movie is like, you're all like, it's hilarious. And you're all like, I don't know if I should be laughing at this. But again, that's where we're getting in. I mean, again, an extension of the conversations we've been having for the past several weeks. This exercise is in poor taste where it's like, ooh, we are laughing at very horrendous acts. And Mm -hmm. it's funny because you're, I mean, again, we've done two films from the 70s. Nurse 3D, I think is, I mean, it's not really quite on par in terms of bad taste, even though it's maybe bad quality. Yes. But... But it's fascinating to me because, again, you can't have something like this made today. Oh, God, no. no. At no, least not, not widely not. released. You know, this would be some kind of black market video nasty. Like It'd be a trauma film. Yes, it would well, be a trauma. Thank you, Reyna. I mean, I'm also trying to think of just like, you know, the, how quick uh, film Twitter is to to get angry at something and just pile on it. And I mean, like, sure, we can say this is this is fine because it's 1973. We didn't know any better. But it's like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I, I would love to see something made today that has this kind of energy and content. Which is interesting because this movie like is beloved now. Like when this box set got announced that mm-hmm. it was getting released, people oh. lost their minds. Yeah, so excited. I think in part though because of what you were talking about earlier, Reina, where the film had such a legacy, but no one could actually see it for themselves. So the opportunity to finally see what had been perceived as a lost classic was very exciting to people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so we have a brief scene where Katrine tells the Baron that Nicholas is going to be working in the castle, and he's like, who? What are we talking about? I don't care. <laughs> she Well, she doesn't care because she just wants a good dicking. Exactly. Yeah, like, she's not even asking for his permission. She's just like, you're going to see a man walking around the castle a little bit more often. <laughs> and then we, of course, get the obligatory. This is the most, like, Frankenstein-y scene in this movie where they zap the zombies and... Um, 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 head head (laughs) yeah so this made me uncomfortable given the eugenics vibe of this movie where he's he basically says like raise your arm to show your functionality and i was like this looks like a hitler youth thing 
And a little bit. That might have been intentional, too. I mean, again, how can you get more important taste than making fun of the Holocaust? <laughs> yeah. I think maybe not, though, because this got released in West Germany. So, right. like, and Ooh, they, yeah. they would have cracked down on that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this could just be my, like, sensitivity sensors going into overload. But I was like, mm-hmm. oh, we're raising one arm. It doesn't look great, but well, yeah. But I mean, look, we're we're eighty years past world, the end of World War Two, and we still associate that motion with like mm-hmm. Third Reich. And so, uh, I find it hard to believe that no. Well, maybe they're on drugs; they didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's art. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so we get a second dinner sequence, and this one is even more fun than the first one because we have the addition of our two zombies, and of course, because Nicholas is also serving the dinner, he notes that the one dude kind of looks like his friend Sasha, albeit taller. Mm-hmm. No? No laughs at the taller crack? Okay. Well, it... <laughs> no? <laughs> Because they make a specific comment that he's like, oh, well, that can't be Sasha because Sasha wasn't that tall. And it's like, wait, so Dr. Frankenstein (laughs) made Sasha taller by adding his head to this body? Yeah, that's what he did. But the actor is still the same. Oh, Oh, right. Oh. See, I'm so so in the movie by this point that I was like, well, yeah, of course he's taller. Like... (laughs) He's on a different body, not knowing in my head, oh, wait, that's the same actor. How mm-hmm. the fuck is he taller? They gave him platform shoes, I'm pretty sure. Oh, that, no. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I did not even think about that. I, yeah. I'm just like, yeah, of course his head's on a different body. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought in my head that his head was on a different body for some reason when I'm like, wait, this is a movie. That can't happen. <laughs> well, that's not right. Yeah. It's like Sarah Jessica Parker having her head put onto the body of a little chihuahua in Mars Attacks. Oh, wait, they didn't actually <laughs> do that to Sarah Jessica Parker? I mean, look, I I, I think I, that that's obvious. You can't put a human head on a dog body. Oh, really? Well, <laughs> in no, the future, you can. Listen, Martians can. Get Udo Kier on the case. Yeah. We'll find right. out. <laughs> Flesh for Frankenstein 2 coming soon. Oh, he doesn't. Man. He doesn't know if it has anything to do with like testicles or lungs but he will definitely be on the case of getting a woman's head onto a dog's body (laughs) Ooh, also though we should cover that movie (laughs) i do love mars attacks i love mars attacks scared the crap out of me as a kid but i love it so the dinner scene i can understand why people have read sasha as asexual for me this is where the queer sort of undertones really come in because he and nicholas are making hey is that you but also kind of fuck guys at each other mm. gotcha now i kind of get that reading i mean i think the more simplistic reading is very much like oh you look familiar are you the person i think you are how could that be you shouldn't be here kind of deal because that's what i was getting because i like get like almost nothing queer from this movie but now that it's being brought up yeah for some reason i'm just like ah yeah i don't pick up on any of those vibes on this movie i don't know Hmm. why i mean i i I think that's interesting i can i mean not say that any film that has a gay actor as the lead like has to be queer but like i I find that surprising since we do have udo kier playing the lead in this movie yeah but it it's, it, he's like played very like straight passing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
I I almost read him as more asexual aside from the sex scene. But in my uh, yeah, reading of that scene, it's not even sex. Like, it's a weird... Yeah. What's necrophilia? Yeah. I'm like, come on, guys. He, he's putting the organ in the body. Let's all calm yeah. down. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing else is happening there. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so Katrin is not impressed because she definitely saw that Nicholas was eyeing up Sasha at this dinner table. So he he notes that he thinks the resemblance is uncanny. And she's like, cool, let me tell you where the fucking lab is. Because <laughs> she's like, all I want is your dick. Uh, if this will get you to stop talking, I'll tell you how to find well, the lab. Okay, no, but I, I love it. So when he tells her, oh, yeah, that's my friend. She goes, oh, see, you did just have a nightmare, silly. You didn't actually have a decapitated friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I just love how, like, they're still, like, kind of on the, like, oh, my friend was decapitated, and it's not a bigger deal than it is. Right? Yeah. No big reactions in this movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, ne- you nevertheless, though, if Katrine saw a peasant get decapitated right in front of her eyes, oh. she she wouldn't care because it's someone who's mm-hmm. beneath her. Yeah, right. she'd applaud it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to make a joke like, oh, well, that's one less person I guess I'll be able to fuck now. But uh, yeah, she probably wouldn't care unless they were of equal stature. I mean, I'm surprised she's fucking uh, someone of of Nicholas's stature. I mean, have you seen him in that hair? No, look at the actor. (laughs) No, I'm aware. But again, given how really against the lower class she is, I'm surprised she would even have that as an option for herself. This movie forgets the rules of its own characters. (laughs) It's like, wait, what? Well, and I think, as you said earlier, Trace, like, these are the only rich people around as far as we right. know. So maybe she doesn't have any other options. She's got to take, like, a two-hour carriage ride to the next village. Yeah, like, yeah. the only other rich guy is Dracula, and he's, like, one castle right? over. <laughs> <laughs> she just shows up, oh, shit, you look like my brother. Do y'all get any, I, I, again, I don't have a lot of experience with Hammer Horror, but do y'all get any, any Hammer Horror vibes from this movie? Yes and no. Uh, I think the way it's color corrected mm-hmm. for sure looks like Hammer Horror. Um, and I think just by extension, the European look of everything. Right. right. I find her styling, like her hair and even sometimes the way she's lit. Yeah, it does remind me of the vampire lovers. Um, but again, mm-hmm. I think it could just be like kind of what Raina said. It's like it all has that vaguely European look to me. Yeah. Which is funny because like this movie almost feels like a send up of those because all mm-hmm. those like hammer vampire like films and Frankenstein ones are all about like class and sexual liberation mm-hmm. and the dismantling of the nuclear family only this one's a little bit more on the nose if you get what i mean yeah yeah it's not quiet the the nozzum Nozzum. (laughs) exactly finally we have the perfect nozzum god um what do we make of the scene this extended 3d scene with the kids in the lab and they're hiding in those bats and that kind of stuff it's bad yeah why 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 Why? i don't know why this is here to make the movie longer i think I, I mean, it's 95 too. minutes. <laughs> that's brief, though, right? Like, maybe that's, they just That's a very brief play. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, like, it's just watching them flit, flat, like, swat away bats for two minutes. Well, mm-hmm. they probably, like, saw, like, how long the movie was. Like, and then they're like, we spent all this money on these cameras. You better get mm-hmm. more footage. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, can you give us something scarier where someone's actually being attacked by something in 3D? 
So we we put children in danger of rabies. Yeah. I, yeah. Rabies is scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, characters that nobody cares about, but rabies. Yeah. But but it definitely does feel like like almost like a pickup shoot of like, oh shit, we mm-hmm. need like a little bit more footage. Yeah. <laughs> get that get that girl's hair back into color and dye so that we can get the red back and then throw them into a cellar. Oh my god. <laughs> the scene is bad. It's bad. It, it, it just serves a purpose. There's no there's no narrative purpose here or anything. And, and no. again, it, it, if the gimmick had been done well here, like I would maybe feel differently, but it's just boring. I feel like the movie would be like stronger if this and like a few other parts were taken out and it was made like a little bit tighter. Ooh, 82 minutes, ma'am. 82 minutes. Yes. Mm. Yeah. That is a perfect length for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I wonder if that's part of what led to the criticisms, like it only has one joke and it plays it out. Yeah, maybe. Mm, probably. Yeah, the length. Because because that's the main criticism I hear from this. I hear that like, obviously, Blood for Dracula has like a little more nuance. It's got more to chew on in themes. I think it might have a shorter runtime. Don't quote me on that. Hmm. But overall, it just feels more brisk. Whereas this is around the same length and people are like, Oh, there are just moments in that movie where it just drags. Yeah. I'll I'll confess I did feel that way the two times that I watched it. There were a couple of parts where I was like, there's just nothing as shocking or entertaining happening as other parts of the film. And it almost felt mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm coming down from the high right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those moments was not watching Katrine slurp on Nicholas's armpits in this sex scene, though. That was, okay, that but, was a I'm high. sorry. Right before this, though, we have the scene where like uh, Otto goes to the Baron Frankenstein. He's like, "Oh yeah, Nicholas looks familiar," but like Baron doesn't recognize him, and he just goes, "He was like, well, he looks familiar. Well, why shouldn't he? They all look the same, except my Serbian." <laughs> He's a bad doctor. <laughs> but yes, um, this the, this. <laughs> I mean, again, not to bring back fucking female trouble, but like the sound effects as she's mm-hmm. licking. Every part of him. It is just, why? Why? Camp. Mm-hmm. It's good Foley. Oh, God. I mean, um, <laughs> the Foley artist who was in charge of getting these sounds, by the way. Oh, right. They should have interviewed the Foley artist for the special features. <laughs> there you go. Oh, no. Okay. Oh. Nobody wants to hear it on a podcast, Trace. Now you have <laughs> oh, to edit my. at least that 10 is... seconds of that out. It's an audio medium. <laughs> no. That needs to... Uh probably be edited out <laughs> or, or bleeped well that's what it sounds like gross uh okay so then we have auto attacking olga who is the maid who we've not really talked about because she's not really a character but i would mm-hmm. say this is probably the best pairing of comedy and horror in the film because Otto's reaction to olga is ridiculous he cannot keep his tongue in his mouth because he thinks that that's what sex is, but then he disembowels her, and we get to see her like intestines and chest cavity dripping out through a grate. As my father would say, Otto with that tongue is every woman's wet dream. I'm sure. <laughs> I wish this was video so you could see how big my eyes got. Like, wait, what? <laughs> Dad told you this? Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, whenever, uh, whenever I was watching Scream for the first time, and Matthew Lloyd's tongue comes out, he goes, "Trace, look at that. That tongue, every woman's wet dream." Oh, my <laughs> lord! 
and I believe we've said this joke before. I've 100% made that joke before, but little <laughs> did he know that it's also every man's wet dream, or gay man's wet dream. <laughs> um, okay, so we'll transition <laughs> away from that. <laughs> uh, my dad's a really nice guy, y'all, I promise. <laughs> On a watch list, too. Crying. I'm, <laughs> I'm like crying laughing at that reaction. This um this disemboweling through the gray. This this is my favorite use of the 3D, by the way. Like the, right. the her liver and whatever falling through the gray. I was just like, that that is what this is. Because honestly, too, what you see in these modern films, the horror films that do this, like be it Nurse 3D or Drive Angry or Piranha or The Final Destination or Final Destination 5, it's all CGI gore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that we're getting this practical, like, real-life organ falling at the camera. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always practical gore. Yeah. And the organs themselves look great, right? Like, sure, we have to contend with the 70s red blood. But I think in this situation, it matches perfectly with the tone. Like, this kind of garish, lurid, over-the-top vibe that the movie is going for. And this shot in particular is just so memorable like it is scary it's campy it's weird like olga's not a character so we don't really care the fact that she's dead but it cements itself in our minds right well so i think i think because okay so the, the actors that played this olga uh, couldn't speak english so they they had to get rid of any of the lines she had in the script Ah. Uh. She apparently did come back later, like a while after filming was completed for uh, additional photography to quote unquote conclude her character's arc. And Hmm. so I have to believe that this death scene wasn't in the original shoot. Oh, again, runtime, padding it out a little bit and maybe to make it more visceral. Well, because, okay, because because do we even have is there anything after this that even acknowledges that Olga is dead? No. Absolutely yeah. not. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing is like, because honestly, when I watched it, I was kind of like, wait, why is this happening? I mean, gr- gr- again, fine with it because of what happens. But I was kind of like, why is this here? I don't It just feels very um, out of place in the sense of like, we've never seen Otto really interact with Olga before or mm-hmm. the, his and he's never shown any interest in her until this scene. <laughs> right. Right. So I read it a little bit as him mimicking yeah not dr frankenstein Frankenstein, but um yeah i could definitely see that as just sort of hey can we get another murder in there can we get another 3d effect in there well because honestly again you take this out we still have a scene of him trying to emulate dr frankenstein later when he kills the female creature by accident right Mm. so i don't know Mm. okay okay i see where you're going with this it does it does feel like a pickup shot though like Right. Again, fine because of this money shot. I'm totally fine with that. I mean, I just, I, I just, I feel like, yeah, I feel like this was added later. It's, it's, it's like one of those reshoots where it's like literally goes one or two ways. You either get the kid scene or you get this. Like, <laughs> and they gave us both. Yeah. yeah. They're <laughs> they like, said, uh, just put both in. Pat it why out. Why not both? Olga and children and Otto, please come back. We have more for you to do. Kids, swat away the bats. Uh, Olga, die. <laughs> yeah, basically. That you know what they might talk about that in that interview with her on the Blu-ray. No, uh, they probably do. Mm. Yeah, I bet you wish you watched it now, eh? <laughs> oh yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, okay, uh, so our next scene is watching the Baron try to make these zombies kiss. So mostly because mm-hmm. he wants to see if they're going to be able to procreate and create his master race. But every time the female zombie kisses the Sasha zombie, he doesn't get hard. 
Yes. Oh mm-hmm. my god. It, it just it's this is hilarious. Is it kiss? Kiss. 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 And then we just have Otto constantly like just checking his dick mm-hmm. every time. Hit him his meaning Sasha's to make sure it's hard. And it just never gets hard. And also mm-hmm. the children are watching. Of course the children are watching. <laughs> yeah. This is where uh this is where a lot of the bad taste comes in that you were talking about this week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so funny that we have to watch as Otto peels back this kind of like loin diaper. <laughs> diaper. Yeah. And, you know, he's he's peering down. You're not really seeing penis. Like you see it briefly when he covers it back up. But this this whole sequence is so ridiculous. And it goes on for so long. Like it it mm-hmm. started to get repetitive. And I thought, okay, we all get it. It's not working. And then it got funny again because it was going on for too long no right no and that to me is the best kind of funny when you're like oh this is going forever but then they do one more thing and then it just makes it funny again somehow oh it's so Mm -hmm. good Mm -hmm. it's like it comes back around on the joke itself yes well because it's the rule of threes right you should have three but then this just keeps fucking going and it's like all right (laughs) it honestly feels like it's two minutes long i've just kiss Mm -hmm. look (laughs) nope kiss I honestly, I, honestly, I, I'd have to go back and look, but I wonder how many of it is the same shot and like a cut of dialogue that they just repeatedly use. Something tells me that it might not be because you got that like it's the long trademark. Take. Yeah, the Morrissey long right. take. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so this is not working, and Doctor Frankenstein. I keep calling him Doctor. He's not. He's a it's bone. fine Baron. Baron Frankenstein is very frustrated with this. He does not understand <laughs> where he has gone wrong. So um, <laughs> this is where we get the scene where Nicholas basically... So Nicholas has also observed this, and he's very perturbed. So he goes to Katrine. He wakes her up in the middle of the day, but she has been napping. And they have an argument where she ends up calling him a farmer, and he slaps her. <laughs> This okay, no, but this is your line that you started the episode off with though. That that how dare you wake me up in the middle of the day when you know I have insomnia? Since mm-hmm. when has the lower class been allowed to be so presumptuous? <laughs> Just, it it comes out of nowhere. We don't even know what time of day it is because there are virtually no exterior shots in the back half of this movie. <laughs> so we're just like oh i guess it is day wait she's never mentioned insomnia before she's so indignant why are they so angry okay it's fantastic like honestly i just want to start telling people that like even if they're not waking me up i'm just gonna yell at them how dare you wake me up (laughs) (laughs) ari comes in he's like hey can you walk the dogs how dare you wake me up (laughs) In the middle of the day when you know I have insomnia. Um, I will say, though, that him slapping her and calling her a bitch was quite cathartic. I really enjoyed that. I mean, she's being patently ridiculous, but so is he. Like, they're both absolutely flying off the handle at this point, And it's very amusing to watch. Well, unfortunately, this does kind of sign his death warrant. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um... Basically, she ends up throwing Nicholas under the bus when her husband slash brother comes to ask her about why the experiment didn't work. And she's like, uh, blame Nicholas. He disturbed your your experiment. He he messed up your equipment, so on. So while this is happening, Nicholas is sneaking into the lab and he tries to reason with Sasha by letting him loose, but it doesn't work. So 
This is when the Baron comes back in and sees what's happening. And uh, Nicholas gets knocked out because Sasha will obey the orders of his master. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So uh, because she is now done with Nicholas, because he is a farmer and he slept her, she then calls dibs on Sasha, even though we have no reason to assume that the equipment below the waist works. She's like, cool, just bring him to my room. And I do love her line when she says she'll bring him back intact, but not oh. unspoiled. Um, again, though, her line about Nicholas, she's like, I'm glad we got rid of that low life." And Baron Frankenstein's like, well, you were happy with him at first, just like you were happy with the kids, we, the school we put the kids in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she goes, I learned my lesson, but not really. <laughs> not really. No. <laughs> but yes, uh, then we get this sex death scene. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, this scene. It's so good. Yeah, so uh, Katrine brings Sasha back into her room and she says that she will give him instructions on how to please her. And it works initially, but then she starts to lose her patience and she basically instructs him to squeeze her and then he squeezes her too tight and won't stop. I put my notes in all caps. Guess she didn't learn her lesson. (laughs) Wow. Um, this, I mean, because you hear these, again, Foley guy, good mm-hmm. job. You hear her bones crack as he yeah. squeezes her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the end of the Baroness, unfortunately. She is mm. honestly probably the most delightful character in this movie. <laughs> she's just so wackadoodle. Yeah. Yeah, she's just bitchery personified. So while this is all going on, we have Otto back in the lab. He strings up Nicholas and then he tongues and then rips open the female creature, similar, as you said earlier, Trace, uh, to what he did to Olga. And so begins the... It's almost Hannibal-esque in its like construction, where we end up with a kind of pyramid tableau of dead <laughs> bodies in the lab. I mean... This denouement of this film, this final 10 minutes, I mean, it's bonkers. This just one thing after the other, it gets more and more ridiculous. The tonguing of this wound is just so gross. I I, I do hate that we don't see, like, we know what happens. Like, you know, he disembowels her and, like, she, her guts fall out. But mm-hmm. I kind of hate that we don't have good coverage of that shot. Yeah. I, think, mm, I almost feel like... It's like an exploitation film, but of the male variety at this point of the movie. Mm. Like, like they tricked you by having the brothel scene to like fully committing to the movie. And then they're like, okay, hope you enjoyed that because you ain't going to get much more of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you came here for conventional sex? Sorry, all we have are people pulling other people's innards out. Exactly. <laughs> precisely. It's like, they knew. I, I feel like they knew. Yeah. Like, like how can you not? It's. I think it's pretty obvious. It's like, oh, by the end of it, everything you think you know about, like, the conventional, like, quote-unquote sex is going to be, like, flipped on its head. I mean, there there is a lot of fetishes and kinks that are present in this film. A lot of taboo fetishes and kinks that are present in this film. Yeah, like armpits. Oh, my God. Ah, uh, yeah. See, it's funny because earlier I said there's there's really no conventional sex in this, but I guess, yeah, all the licking is pretty kink hmm. i mean we almost get bestiality with that gecko earlier oh my god mm. moving on yeah. <laughs> um okay so yeah we've got the female creature who's dead on the ground 
when the Baron comes in, he sees what Otto has done. He gets so mad, he ends up strangling Otto to death. So now we have two dead bodies on the pile. Yep. And then uh, in comes Sasha carrying Katrine's body. So we add that to the corpse pile. So now we're up to three. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of is Clue. <laughs> oh, God. We just cut and like, we throwing all the bodies on the couch in that room in the study. <laughs> Basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, um, despite the fact that Baron pleads with Sasha to kill Nicholas, this is when Sasha will no longer be controlled, so he goes after the Baron. We get this great shot where he advances on him and then slams his hand, amputating Ooh. it in a door. This looks Such great. a great shot. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is awesome. This, I mean, yeah, the blood still looks like shit, but who cares? It is gushing out of his yeah, arm wound. it is gnarly. Yeah, it's great. But, but it's not the end. <laughs> it's not the end. I actually thought, okay, well, that's going to be the end of the Baron. He's going to bleed to death, and then the movie's over. And then, no, uh, Udo Kier's got to get a really fantastic death scene. So he comes out, he's, you know, going on and on, and then we get the spear. I think it's supposed to be through the heart, but the exit wound is at the stomach level. But yes. he has punctured his heart in perfect 3d at the camera it, yeah it is i was like that's very much still a heart that's at the end of this of the spear mm-hmm. <laughs> but okay how long do you think he monologues for before he finally dies <laughs> like three hours right <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I messaged joe and i was like he is still monologuing still going <laughs> still got oh, it yeah. he goes on for a minute before he dies it's like almost like like over the top theater where like you almost expect him after to just go like, Ugh, and then keel over. This, I, I don't even know what he's saying in this scene because I couldn't stop laughing when I was watching it. My God. It's funny, right? Because if this had been treated at all seriously, I think this could have been Shakespearean levels of kind of pathos <laughs> and tragedy. Like, um, mm-hmm. it almost reminds me of the end of Titus, like Titus Andronicus, right? Where we get the reveal that, you know, he was beating her her kids and then she kills him and he kills her and everybody's just dying all over the place and you're like oh this is really upsetting except here because it's so ridiculous we can't take any of it seriously and that again just kind of makes it all the better right like this could be so tragic watching this poor scientist who just wanted his master race but instead (laughs) we're like I, I just kept looking at the swaying spear with the heart. Oh, on it. okay. What, what what bothered me the most, and by bothered I mean like again, I thought it was hilarious. Um, he dies, and we have like the, the, we get a long shot of this room, so we can see all the corpses. They're all laid out. Mm-hmm. Um, he is somehow as a corpse, still kneeling, and neither yes. end of the spear is touching the ground, propping him up. He is just <laughs> holding himself up. <laughs> <laughs> I I think in a weird way, it's almost like oh. This man was all about eugenics, master race, but mm-hmm. like his own creations are the things that killed him. And like, yes. it's like a giant middle finger to like that ideology in a way. Oh, for <laughs> sure. I also love Joe that you're like, oh, this poor scientist just wanted his master race. <laughs> <laughs> the framing of that. <laughs> uh, but folks, we are not done. We still have one more body to add to this pile. So we're left with Sasha and Nicholas, which is meant to be the emotional core of this movie, right? The friendship between these two men. And but... Nicholas is like, let me down and we'll go. And Sasha says, well, there's nowhere for me left anymore. It's not like I can become a monk. I can't be a regular man anymore. And 
you know, I could actually see this in a universal film where the creature says, I don't exist, I deserve to be dead, and he just rips open the sutures and kills himself. I right. don't think that this is particularly funny. Like, I do think this moment is meant to be sad and mm-hmm. emotional. Yes, but what is funny is it's like, okay, but let your friend down first. <laughs> yeah, Sasha really doesn't give two shits about Nicholas at this point, does he? Well, because mm-hmm. he, he, he asked him, he's like, oh, well, where are we going to go? And he's like, oh, we're just going gonna to leave and go to the village. And he's like, oh, no, sorry, I'm going to kill myself instead. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. cool, do that, but maybe let me down first. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, that, that was funny to me. Yeah, because sadly, Nicholas is still suspended. He's His feet are just above the ground so he can't help himself and of course because we have forgotten that these two little fucking shits are still kicking (laughs) around enter Tweedledum and Tweedledee and they will clearly inherit this lab and their father's predilection for violence and exploration and the movie ends on uh I'm pretty sure it's not meant to be ambiguous that clearly Nicholas is going to be their first experiment and this dude is gonna die but we end on them just raising him up so that's what I thought, because yeah, the, the Wikipedia plot says it is not clear if the scalpels oh, are there in order on. to release him or to take over where their father left off. And I'm like, oh, um, come on. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the opening of the, again, we, we're bookending the movie with these children. Mm-hmm. No, they're going to experiment on this man because they, now they have an actual subject instead of just a doll they have to decapitate. Yeah, exactly. They they have what their father had, which was a living doll. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's good. it. That's the movie. Yeah. What an ending. <laughs> Holy shit. That is Flesh for Frankenstein slash not Andy Warhol's Frankenstein. There we go. Uh, Raina, please, uh, first of all, thank you for coming back onto this and for watching this with us. Well, again, uh, what are your final thoughts on this film? I just, God, it's it's just such a unique movie. And it's got some themes that are there if you really want to look into them. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things where I just don't think a movie like this will ever happen again. It was like, yeah, right place, right time. Now you look back on it and you're like, holy shit, that movie exists and it's great. And I'm glad it exists. <laughs> I am too. I mean, again, as a first time watch, uh, I, I was pleasantly surprised by this. Uh, this was this was a hoot. Uh, this was very fun, and I would easily recommend this to someone. Uh, but probably just kind of give them some context for what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not it's not for the faint hearted. No. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I'll co-sign on all of that. Uh, this was unexpected. Like I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. Mm-hmm. I I just think it's so absurd, and the humor is yeah. so deadpan, which is really appealing to me because you. You know, Trace and British, you may or may not know, but like a lot of North American humor doesn't really land for me. So this just kind of was pitched at the exactly right spot. And yeah, it's early Udo Kier. Everyone in this movie is fantastically beautiful. Like the actors are all stunningly gorgeous. So it's a pleasure to watch in that sense. The colors are lurid and pop off the screen. Like this film just feels very vibrant to me and yeah, I mean, it makes me excited to check out Blood for Dracula because if it's kind of more of the same with maybe a little bit more meat on the social yeah. satire bones, then I can really get into that. 
lot more meat. Definitely more problematic elements in that film, but yeah. uh, which yeah. is definitely... saying something. Which I know. Is I, wild. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, again, if one of these films is going to get made today, this would be the one. Not Blood for Dracula. God, <laughs> no. Oh my God. Blood for Dracula is like a thousand percent of like, okay, Flesh for Frankenstein. You're like, oh, that's that's a fun like over the top movie, and then mm-hmm. you look at Blood for Dracula, you're like, whoo. Ooh, this would oh, never happen. <laughs> but again, I, I feel I feel like though that's more akin to to Morrissey. I feel like if you were to say, oh, which one is uh, is more Im- the embodiment of Morrissey's uh, ideals or whatever, or like his uh, talent and skills, it's going to be that one because he wasn't worried about that three D camera work. Yeah, he didn't have the technical aspect to worry mm-hmm. about it, and this one was on schedule like they got everything yeah. done but blood for dracula that one was able to go over schedule or <laughs> they had extra time if they needed to like i think they started production on like blood for dracula a week after they were done yeah. filming flesh yeah oh, i mean because it came out the next year yeah and wow. they had to shoot flesh first i think only because they had to cut udo kier's hair yeah <laughs> yeah Oh, Lord. Well, listeners, we hope that you enjoyed this little trip down Frankenstein Alley. Uh, this has been fun. But um, before we announce what we're covering next week, Reyna, let everyone know, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, you can find me at JFC Doomblade. I pretty much write for many websites. I always just post there. Recently made my big grand return to Bloody Disgusting. Hey. Um, shout out. I also run the Windsor Film Club. You can find us on Apple and Spotify. We are a podcast that focuses on underappreciated or downright weird cult films. We do have an episode with the horror queers. Uh, It was part of our Cronenberg month last month. We covered Crash. Big fun movie. Uh, (laughs) That's putting it lightly. (laughs) Yeah, that's a word for it. (laughs) Yeah, but please go check that out if you're interested yes please do uh that was a first time viewing for me so if you want to hear my reactions to that definitely go listen to it um but yes if you would like to get in touch with us you can reach us on twitter and instagram at horrorqueers or you can shoot us an email at horrorqueers at gmail.com find us on letterbox to keep track of all the films we've covered uh go to our youtube channel to check out our interviews with various horror filmmakers as well as our monthly hangouts where we talk about hot button issues with some of our journalistic peers and if you want to chat with other listeners go join Join our Facebook Horror Queers group. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. We really, really, really appreciate reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That really helps, uh, you know, rise up in the search results. And if you want even more Horror Queers content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. If you subscribe today, you'll get all this and more. Episodes on horror movie to TV flip-floppers. Um, wow. Uh, an audio commentary on the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie to celebrate its 30th anniversary. And before we close out the month with an episode on Jordan Peele's Nope, we will also have themed episodes on Joe Cornish's Attack the Block and M. Night Shyamalan's Signs to tie into what is uh, hopefully an alien theme in Nope. <laughs> but Joe... Uh, We're continuing camp month next week, and uh, we have a literal camp next week. So what are we discussing? Yes, we are. We're actually going to close out both the month as well as this theme with a film that we have not covered for four years. And it is finally time to pull this trigger. So Trace, we are headed to sleepaway camp. Yep, we are. Uh, A film that we have had endless requests for that we have just kept putting off. (laughs) 
everyone. Please join us next week for Sleepaway Camp. And, uh, yeah, finish out this camp month. And until then, we can cross out Flesh for Frankenstein. Indeed. And cross out Horror Queers. Thank you.